Okay. Um, just like what we've mentioned la last week, uh, we are in, uh, well, this is the week before we get into Advent season. Okay, Advent starts next week. Um, but like what I said last week, we're going to be starting a new series of messages uh, uh, that deals with this topic of typology. Anybody here have heard of this topic before? This theme? Typology? No? That's good. Fresh slate to work with. Right? So, <laughs> so listen up because the rest of the sermons coming after this one uh, deals with typology and specifically uh, types of Christ that we see in the Old Testament. Uh, by the way, Christ is not Jesus' last name. Uh, it's not Jesus Christ. Uh, <laughs> so um, when I say types of Christ, there's not a bunch of Jesuses. Um, so we'll, we'll get into that later on. But this, uh, my goal this morning is to just give you an overview, basic overview of what biblical typology is. Okay, so the first thing I want us to know about biblical typology is that typology is a tool. It's a tool for biblical interpretation. Okay, uh, in other words, typology is one way we can read and interpret the Bible, especially when it comes to the study of, old, of the Old Testament. Now, how many ways are there that we ought to use? How many tools do we have as far as interpreting Scripture is Concerned, uh, One pastor and biblical scholar, uh, Gridanus, Sidney Gridanus, says there are three ways to move from the Old Testament or study of the Old Testament and see Jesus in the Old Testament. There are six ways that we can, six methods, six tools that we can use to do that. Uh, number one, New Testament references. If you're studying the Old Testament, you know that when you read the New Testament, the uh, Disciples back then, the apostles, they always, always quote the old, right? You guys read your New Testament Bibles? If you read it, that's what, that's what, that's what these apostles do. They, they use Old Testament scripture. Why? Because that's their Bible at that time. Alexa is talking back. That's the Bible of the apostles at that time, right? They didn't have New Testament because they're still writing it. So the, their Bible was the Old Testament. So when we read the Old Testament, you look at what the New Testament authors um, say about what they've read about in the Old Testament. So that's one reference. That's one tool you can use, New Testament references. Other tools that we can use is this, uh, the theme of promise and fulfillment. So you look at the promises in the Old and you look at the fulfillment in the New. That confirms the promises, right? And that's how we interpret. Uh, another way to interpret is redemptive historical progression. We've been talking about this during our study in Exodus. That everything leading or stemming from Genesis 3 is a redemptive historical progression of how God will save. You get what I'm saying? So there's a progression to it. There's a pattern to it. I'm going to get into that later on. But that's how we should read the Old Testament, as a redemptive part of the redemptive history that God has planned out for those of us who are believers. Amen? Should be, you should be happy about that. <laughs> that's good news. Um, another way is typology. 
another tool that we have uh, in interpreting scripture is typology. I'll get into that later. But the last two that you can also use as you study Old Testament scriptures uh, are is contrast, the study of you know, when you look at Old Testament scriptures, you look at the differences between certain uh, doctrines, and you look at the contrast between, uh, you know, the differences in doctrine and the differences in, let's say, people. Like Moses is a type of Christ, but you can contrast them in that Moses is not a, 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 a the complete Savior that God intended him to be because that completion is fulfilled in Christ. There's a difference. Right? Or you can also look at it uh, by using analogies. Analogies are similarities. How is Moses similar to Jesus if Moses is a type of Christ? So those are the six things you can use uh, as far as, as your, you know, your study of the Bible is concerned. Obviously, we're not going to take up all of them. Uh, we're just going to take up one, uh, which is the use of typology. Now, uh, if you've been attending Glen Cairn Baptist Church for the I would say past seven years, uh, our goal as a church has been to develop a proper reading, proper study of an interpretation of the Bible. Uh, if you've been here, you know, that's our goal. Um, we try to teach you that, you know, during sermons, during prayer meetings, during uh, cell groups. Uh, that's, that's the goal. So hopefully um, we've been progressing through that. Uh, you know, as you read your Bible, as you study your Bible. Who here studies their Bible? Nobody? That's good. No. <laughs> you should study your Bible. I encourage you to read it, but I encourage you more to study it, not just read it. Um, so study your Bible, but make sure you're studying it the right way. And that's our goal is to, to teach you how to do that. Um, I've always emphasized the importance of having a proper hermeneutic. Uh, what's a hermeneutic? Way to study the Bible, right? The most basic one we've taught, right? What's the most basic hermeneutic that we've been teaching here? Oh, I feel so bad right now. Seven years of work, nothing. Uh, what is it? Observe, interpret, apply. Obviously, before observe, you read. You have to read first. <laughs> but the most basic hermeneutic is observe, interpret, and apply. Now, the interpretation part is tricky because there's a lot of ways that you do that. You ask questions, right? And just like what I said, the six ways, New Testament references, contrast, analogies, typology, right? So when we, when we do that, and hopefully we've been doing, uh, you know, an okay job that you guys are getting it, hopefully you're able to apply it in your own daily study of the scriptures. Because, and this is the reason why, because correct interpretation will lead to correct application. And the opposite of that, incorrect interpretation will lead to incorrect application. Uh, and ultimately, application is what's important because that's how you know that these words are actually taking effect on you. Uh, that's why we encourage so much that you uh, do self-study uh, when it comes to the scriptures don't just come here with an empty slate, um, you know, just, just relying on the sermons or relying on your cell groups and relying on your teachers. Study it for yourself. And we're trying to equip you for that. Um, hopefully we are. Now, can I get my water? 
brought this uh, study uh, that we have of Old uh, Testament books. Uh, and we've, we've, we've been uh, interchangeably studying New Testament, Old Testament, right? Remember the first book that we studied? New Testament? Remember what it was? Ephesians. Remember? We studied Ephesians, and then from then on, we switched. New Testament, Old Testament, New Testament, Old Testament. So now we're in, in Exodus, right? So throughout this study of Old Testament books, uh, I've always made it a point to interpret Old Testament texts with one goal in mind. The goal is to see Christ in the Old Testament. Right? That's the goal, to see Christ or to show you how you see Christ in the Old Testament. Uh, and again, I believe that any proper interpretation of the Old Testament should lead to and end up pointing to or pointing the reader to the gospel and to Christ. It has to go there because organically the Bible goes there, <laughs> right? That's where the Bible goes, from the Old Testament, Genesis, all the way to Revelation. It's a pointer to Jesus. So when we read our Bibles, no matter if you're in the Old or the New Testament, that should be your goal, to see Christ in the Old Testament. Augustine once Augustine one said, and this is a paraphrase, that uh, the New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed. The Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed. The, Old Testa or the New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed. Meanwhile, the Old Testament is also in the New Testament, but this time... Is being revealed. Uh, this is another way of saying that the best way to interpret Scripture is through Scripture itself. Uh, that's one of our basic hermeneutical rules that we should follow when reading the Bible. If the New Testament doesn't attest to any interpretation that you have of the Old, then your interpretation might be wrong. It has to all work together. They can't work against each other, the, our interpretation of Scripture, whether in the old or the new, it has to be cohesive, right? They cannot go against each other. And so the way we interpret Old Testament texts must agree with New Testament references and vice versa, okay? So you follow me so far, right? We need this in order for our interpreta interpretation to be accurate, okay? Obviously, you feel free to check your commentaries and sermons and all that stuff. But don't watch sermon first and commentary first because it's going to affect the way you, you read your Bible. Read it first and then confirm it. If it doesn't confirm, either whoever it is that you're listening to is wrong or you're wrong. <laughs> but the Bible is never wrong. Amen? Okay. So, now I mention all of this make it a point to mention it, because the use of the typological method of interpreting the Old Testament has its advantages and disadvantages. Okay? Those of you who will be speaking on a type, listen up. And this is not to scare you, but listen up. There's advantages and disadvantages to, to the use of typology when it comes to interpreting the Old Testament. Why? Because when if you're only relying on typology by itself as a tool to interpret the Old Testament, there's a tendency that you could go extreme. 
There's a tendency that you can look at the Old Testament and see everything as a type. Oh, that's a tree. That's a type of. Oh, that's a, a, a crow is a type of. Right? Not everything is a type. So you got to be careful when you use this kind of method of study um, when it comes to Old Testament text. And again, a wrong use of this method could lead to misinterpretation. That's why you have to use all six methods. New Testament references, contrasts, analogies, typology. You have to use all of those. You can just rely on, on one. There's this site uh, called pre preceptaustin.org. It says this about the use of biblical typology as a method of interpreting the Bible. And I quote, Typology can either be used or abused. It reminds one of the analogy of a powerful river, which if allowed to overflow its bounds can create havoc and destruction. The same river, when kept within bounds and allowed to flow through a dam like the Hoover Dam, creates great power which is useful and productive. So too, typological study out of bounds is destructive but kept inbounds can be very instructive. You, you heard it on the video, right? Doug Wilson said, there's got to be breaks when it comes to uh, this, these methods of study. Without breaks, we tend to go extreme, right? So the only way to learn those breaks or what those breaks are is if we use all the methods. Uh, number one, first of all, number one, you pray before you study your Bible. Pray for humility so that you don't, you know, put your ideas in Scripture, but you extract it, right? And at the same time, don't just rely on yourself. Rely on these tools. Rely on commentaries. Rely on other people. Rely on preaching, teaching. But mostly rely on the Holy Spirit, okay? So, um, so as we learn basic typology, okay, and as we look at types that are described in the Bible, please be very careful when analyzing be very careful when studying these types. And always remember that in studying and interpreting scriptures, either in the Old Testament or the New Testament, always think of the context. Okay? What is context again? The environment in which a word is found, that's its environment, that determines its meaning. So not because you see water interpreted in one passage, you're going to use that interpretation for a different passage of Scripture that contains the same word. I said that about, um, what was that? The, the, the yeast. Remember? If you study yeast outside of its context, you're going to interpret it wrong. Right? You have to look at the yeast as in the context. That determines what yeast in that use means. Okay? Be careful with that. Our goal when it comes to interpreting Scripture is to determine the author's intended meaning and use of a word and a sentence and a verse and a chapter in a book. Ultimately, the whole Bible. Because it all has to fit together. Okay? Amen? Seven years I've been preaching this. It looks like you just heard it today. Um, <laughs> But do you, you get what I'm saying? So even one word, it's very important, right? Not just for the reformed, reformed people, <laughs> okay, for everybody. 
make sure that when you study your scriptures, look at each word in its context, especially when you're studying a type, okay, when it comes to typology. But that's our ultimate goal, determine the author's intended meaning. Now, having said that, let's start. That was just intro. I don't even know how long I've gone, but anyway, let's start. What is a type? Okay. Earlier, I was joking around with some people. I said, oh, because the, 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 the title says Introduction to Typology. It sounds like you're going to be in a, in a college uh, or university uh, lecture, right? Intro to Typology. I'm going to teach you how to type. That's not what typology means, okay? So what is a type, okay? Moorhead says, types are pictures. Okay? They're object lessons by which God taught his people concerning his grace and saving power. So they're pictures, object lessons, something physical, something that we can see. It's a physical representation of a spiritual truth. Let's, let's, let's summarize it like that. Okay? That's a type. They're pictures, object lessons. Um, Frey says this, and I quote, Scripture types are the emblems, okay? symbols or representations, which were designed by God to represent and prefigure some great and good things to come. That's very important. So what is a type? A picture of something that is to come. Keep that in mind. A type is a picture of something that is to come. Or you can say a prototype. You know what a prototype is? Those of you, in, yeah, prototype. It's not yet the complete finished thing, but it looks like it. There's similarities to the finished product, but it's not yet the finished product. It's a prototype, right? So two things now about types, right? It's a picture, and what else? It points to something that is yet to come. Webster's. Let's read Webster's. Oh, no. I got one more. No, no, Webster's. Webster's Dictionary defines types as this. A doctrine which holds the things... That things in Christian belief are prefigured or are early indications or early version of something okay? by things in the Old Testament. Okay? Read that again. A type based on Webster's, theological types, especially one holding that things in Christian belief are prefigured or symbolized by things in Old Testament typology. A type is a sign, a symbol, a figure of something to come. Okay? For example, Abraham's sacrifice of the, of the, the ram or the, of, his, of his son, right? That's a type of something to come. The, the lamb in the Passover meal is a type of something to come, namely Christ. Okay? So to this word, Webster says, um, if it's a true type, it has to lead to an anti-type. What's an anti-type? Anti-type is the thing that the type is pointing to, the completed version that the type is pointing to. That's called the anti-type. So the Passover lamb is a type. What is the anti-type? Or who is the anti-type? Christ. 
Okay? So you guys get it. So anti-type doesn't mean against the type. <laughs> okay? I know it sounds like it, but anti-type is the, the finished product, so to speak, of the prototype. Yeah? Back there, yes? Those of you who are sleeping, yes? Yeah, good, good. Okay. In other words, okay, types are used in the Bible as an incomplete symbol, incomplete illustration of something that is to come. So a type is not just a physical mark or an example, but it has to lead to a future reality. Or a prophetic future reality. It has to lead to that. It's very important that we, that we look, look at that, that we realize that, that a type is something that doesn't just describe, okay, the similarities between uh, certain things, but it must also lead to something, something that is complete, all right? But to confirm that a type is pointing to some future reality. This means that if you think you see a type, in the Old Testament, you can verify if this is truly a type of something or someone if it is mentioned in the New Testament. That's why I say, what, what's one of the tools that we use in interpreting Old Testament texts? New Testament references. It has to. Otherwise, it's not a type. If there's no mention of the type that you think is a type in the New Testament, that's not a type. But there, it, there's a term for that. It's called an analogy. <laughs> What's an analogy? Something that compares to something else positively. Right? They, they share certain aspects. They share certain characteristics. Okay? So types and analogies, they're very similar in that they both share something in common with another thing. For example, check out 1 Corinthians 10.6. Again, let's read First Corinthians ten six. Can you guys flash it? And so this, yeah, okay, ten six. Can you guys read that? Okay, these things took place as a type or as an example for us. What is the type that it is talking about? If you read the first one to five, it talks about it, right? Let's read one to five. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under a cloud and passing through the sea. Two. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. What's Paul referring to here? Exodus, time in the wilderness, crossing the Red Sea, escape from Egypt, right? Keep going. Uh, verse 3. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 3. Nobody wants to turn? Okay. I will just read. 10, 3. My eyes are bad. So, If you have your Bibles, just open there. Okay, here we go. Okay, all eat the same spiritual food, manna, okay, forward, for, all drank the same spiritual drink, okay, water from the rock, uh, 
Back from the space spiritual rock, and the rock was Christ. Five. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrowing the wilderness. So he's basically, Paul is uh, explaining or describing what happened in the Exodus as a type of something, right? Now, six says, now these things took place for us as a type, as an example, right? So it's pointing to a future reality. Those things that the people in Exodus went through is pointing to a future reality. Well, what's the reality that Paul is pointing to? Baptism. Paul used the events of the Israelites passing through the Red Sea as a type or a pointer to baptism. Okay. So now we can say that these pointers is just an analogy. But what's the difference between a type and an analogy? A type doesn't just describe similarities. It points to something future. That's why Paul is saying, no, this is a type. It's an example. How did Paul you know, relate the crossing of the Red Sea to baptism. What does baptism have in common with the Red Sea crossing? Number one, the movement from slavery to freedom. When the Israelites crossed the Red Sea, they came from slavery in Egypt, and they crossed to their freedom. Baptism is a movement from slavery to freedom. What, what, what does baptism signify? When you, you know, I'm not talking about sprinkle baptism. Okay, by, by the way, the reason why we're called Baptists is because we baptize immersed. Okay? So what does, what does that signify? When you, get, when you get dunked in the water and then you rise up. Huh? Burial. Purification, you're dying to yourself, and then you're coming out clean because of your faith in Jesus Christ to his righteousness. Not, okay, it doesn't clean. It's not, I'm not talking about clean as in you're dirty and then you got done. If that's you, you should take a shower before you get baptized. <laughs> so we're not talking about physical. Okay, we're talking about spiritual. It symbolizes that, right? What else does, this, does the baptism share with the crossing of the Red Sea? How did they cross the Red Sea? Through water, right? The water was parted. They went through it. Baptism is the same thing. How are you, how are you symbolized yourself as clean when you pass through water? Now, water can also symbolize uh, burial. It's like what Elder says. But ultimately, it's the through water that it shares in common with the crossing of the Red Sea. You guys get it? So there's two similarities. What else? Crossing of the Red Sea, they followed a leader. Right? Moses. Moses went first. Otherwise, there's no part. Right? The waters won't part. Baptism, you follow a leader. Who was first to be baptized? Jesus Christ. All that can follow him have to be baptized as well. That's why if there's anybody here who professed faith in Christ but hasn't followed in baptism yet, I encourage you, follow the leader. Because that's what happened to Moses and the Israelites, right? Follow the leader. They were saved. Right? 
So that's, that's, that's why Paul says, this is a type. Not only do they share things in common, it points to something future. It's baptism. By the way, that's a, baptism is also part of our topic in circumcision that we're going to get back to in February. So keep that in mind, okay? So um, what else? What, what are other types in the Bible? Flood is also considered a type of baptism. Right? Again, there's things in common. What are the things in common? Why the flood? I'm talking about the flood, Noah's Ark flood. How is that a type of baptism? How is Noah's family saved? They got into the ark. The ark is a type. What's, why, why is that a type? It's a type of Savior. Right? That's why Romans 8 says, in Christ. Those of you in Christ, there's no more condemnation. Right? So the ark is a type of Christ. The whole event of the flood is a type of baptism. Followed Noah into the ark, followed the leader, crossed through the waves, water. They got saved. Baptism. Right? You get what I'm saying? These, these types are pointers. They're... They're kind of like analogies in that they describe something similar between one thing and another, but at the same time, they have to point to something future. You can't just call it a type if it's just describing something. Okay? <laughs> you guys get it? So what else does analogies and types share with each other, they both have links. Okay. They link or they flow through God's redemptive history and plan to something, to an anti-type. Right? So the anti-type is the type, or the anti-type is what the type or the analogy is ultimately pointing to. And again, examples, Adam. Adam is a type of Christ. Why? Because everybody was born from all human people born in the flesh, they were born from Adam. Those of us who will be born in the spirit will be born through Christ, the new Adam. That's why Adam is a type. Not only do they share similarities, him and Christ, right? That they both start new, a new species, right, of human beings. They also... They also um, Share differences. But at the same time, Adam is a pointer to Christ. The perfect Adam, the new Adam, the better Adam. Okay? So, using analogies and types are pretty much the same thing. The only difference between a type and an analogy, again, is that analogies are simply observed similarities. Analogies are just descriptive. They describe something that's similar to something else. Types are prophetic. They point to something in the future, a finished product. Okay? So when you look at your Bibles, you look at your Old Testament, oh, I think this might be a type. Use all your tools. Does it have New Testament references? Is it pointing to something future? If not, you're just describing. Right? You're just describing uh, or you're just using an analogy. 
Let me give you examples of analogies in the Bible. Shepherd and sheep. It's an analogy. Right? Jesus is the shepherd. We're the sheep. Why are we called sheep? Because we're stupid, right? Sheeps are stupid. <laughs> no, but it's, it's true. We can't take care of ourselves. That's why we need a shepherd to guide us. Otherwise, we'll just go all over the place. It's an analogy. Nobody hears a sheep. Right? That's just a descriptive thing. It's actually describing something present at that point in time when it was used. Right? It's not pointing to something future. Right? That's why it's just an analogy. Uh, jars of clay. That's an analogy. That's not pointing to something future. It's just describing who we are as carriers of the gospel. Right? The word jars of clay, we're prone to hurt, death, sickness. Right? But we still carry the, the treasure in us. You guys get that? It's an analogy. Not pointing to something future, something present. Um, the vine and the branches. Who's the vine? Jesus is the vine, we're the branches. Um, salt of the earth. Actually, this is actually this might be an analogy. There's a lot, of, a lot of salty people up. You know, when you're up here, you see a lot of salty people. You know, a lot of salty people, they all look always angry and sad. <laughs> this might be an analogy, <laughs> a type. <laughs> no, but salt of the earth. What, 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 why use salt of the earth in Matthew? What's, what's it describing? Why, why are we being described, or Christians, believers, being described as salt of the earth? Because you influence. Because of your influence. You make everything taste better, as some people say. So those are analogies. They're like sermon illustrations. Right? Mostly sermon illustrations are analogies. Um, there are observed similarities between one person, place, event, or thing. And it's being described through or compared to something else that it resembles. But it doesn't necessarily predict. There's no future reality that it's talking about. So it's not a type. Okay? Um, so now, uh, do you guys get what a type is and what an analogy is? Okay, hopefully. Um, so when you study your Bibles, try to look, try to look for them. Okay? Now, now, question is this. Why? Why do we need to learn about <laughs> types? Why do we need to preach about the types of Christ? Why are we doing this for the Advent season? I have three reasons for why. They all start with the letter P. Okay? Three reasons for why we're doing this for the Advent season. They all start with the letter P. First is a preview, pattern, and purpose. Preview, pattern, and purpose. So in using types in order to properly interpret Old Testament text, reason why, first reason is because it provides us with a preview, a Christian, it provides a Christian with a preview of things to come. Second is because types show us a pattern in God's salvation plan. And third is because types point to God's ultimate purpose for the events and even the people used in the Old Testament. So I'm going to go through those things one by one quickly. First, what do I mean when I say types provide a preview? Okay, who, who here still watches movies in the theaters? 
Come on, it's, it's not a sin. I know, oh, you don't go to the movies. It's bad. They all do bad things there. I still go. Yeah, you raise your hand. Why are you shy about it? It's not bad. A bunch of legalistic people up in here. <laughs> I watched, I, I, the last one I watched was Black Adam. <laughs> now it's a waste of money, but that's a different topic. Uh, <laughs> when I watch movies in the theater, I get there early. I want to get there early. Why? Because I want to see the previews. Who here watch, likes to watch the previews? What do you mean? <laughs> Somebody's like, no, I don't. I like watching previews, the sneak peeks. I like watching those because or, or trailers, some some movie trailers. I even watched it on YouTube. I watch a lot of trailers on YouTube. Why do I watch it? Why do some of you watch it? Because it provides us with a sense of excitement about this upcoming movie, a sense of anticipation for that upcoming movie. I think types of Christ, study of the types of Christ in the Old Testament, and he uh, will provide us with the same thing. Right? Uh, if you imagine yourself to be in the first century and somebody promised this is, this is, a, type, you know, this is a type of Christ, you want to look forward to that. You want to see the final product. You want to see the final movie, right? Advent is a celebration of that, right? What's Advent mean again? Coming. You're waiting for something to to come. What's our preview for that coming? Revelation. You read Revelation? That's the preview. Now some people read Revelation and be like, why am I going to be excited about that? I don't want to die. I want rapture. Rapture. I don't want to go through all that. But for those of us who are reading it, you know, for what it is, it's not supposed to scare you. I don't think that's the intent of John when he, you know, when he wrote this. Is to encourage you that even though things are going to get really bad, at the end, it's going to get good. God is going to restore everything. That's how we should read Revelation. That's why Advent is supposed to be an exciting event for Christians. If we're focused on the type. But unfortunately, we're not. Focus on Advent is all about <sighs> shopping. I'm prone to it too. Amazon, what should we get people? How, you know, what are we going to eat? Blah, 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 blah. Uh, that's not how where our excitement, excitement should come from. Right? Our excitement should come from that seeing the Old Testament, the old, all these types of Christ led to the actual Christ, and then he died. But he said he would come back. <laughs> and then the New Testament, you read it. Right? And then you get to the revelation, like, oh, it's coming back. But these are the signs. But when we see these signs, that means it's almost there. Then we should be excited. That's the preview. Right? It should give us the same excitement, the same anticipation. Romans 8.19 says, For creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God, Paul said. Eager Longing, excitement. Why? Because in the context, Paul is talking about those who are saved being finally revealed on that day. Right? And what we need to realize as well is that on that day, Jesus is also set to come. Right? Our celebration of Advent should be, a full, should be full of excitement and anticipation for the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our focus on Advent should be that event. 
waiting for that. Okay? Now, all throughout the Bible, the main focus is on the coming of the seed promise in Genesis 3. The Messiah, the Christ, who will come and destroy the seed of the serpent and death along with it. In the New Testament, the seed finally came in the flesh and that seed died and rose again in order to bring those who believe in him to eternal life with the Father. So in a sense, the whole Old Testament is a preview. And again, in the New Testament, the preview or the trailer that we look forward to is that on Revelation. When the world comes to an end or when God starts a new beginning. So in a way, the study of types in the Bible gives us that sense of excitement. Preview. Second P, it shows us a pattern when it comes to God's salvation. What's the pattern? Pattern goes like this. God creates, man breaks. God shows mercy, saves, restores, man breaks again. <laughs> God shows mercy again, saves, restores, man breaks again. Throughout the Old Testament and even in the New and even today, this is the pattern. Right? So throughout the Old Testament, God sent different saviors for his people in the form of judges or warlords, kings, prophets, priests, all of whom God used to rescue and restore his people. But there's one thing about all of those, quote-unquote, saviors, is that they did not bring God's plan to its completion. They all came short. Moses, when he saved not him, but God used him to save the Israelites. He was supposed to bring them to the promised land. Did he bring them to the promised land? No. He came short. Who replaced him? Joshua. Did Joshua finish the job? No. Came short. Did the judges finish the job? No. Came short. Did the kings finish the job? No. They came short. Only Jesus was able to finish the job. That's why when you come on Good Friday and you do the seven last words, what's the last word on Good Friday? What did he finish? The job that these guys didn't finish. <laughs> right? He was the completion of it. This meant that the, the, it is fin finished. It meant that whatever was promised to Abraham that wasn't completed in the time of Abraham, the job that Moses couldn't finish, nor Joshua, nor the judges, nor the King David, nor King Solomon couldn't finish, Jesus finished. That's why he said, it is finished. And once Jesus finished it through his life, death, and resurrection, all those who will continue to believe in him are assured of their salvation. So that even as we experience the Old Testament pattern of man's stubbornness, and there's nobody here who says, I don't experience that pattern anymore. Everybody experiences that pattern, right? God creates, we break. We're shown mercy, grace, forgiveness, restoration, salvation. We break again. Even if we experience that pattern, we can rest assured that because Jesus finished it on our behalf, our journey to restoration will be completed. Amen? I can just, maybe I should not look at anybody. Because I'm, I'm expecting something. Yeah. 
I guess we're not charismatic. We're not. Uh, we're Baptists, right? So that's. No amen, nothing. <laughs> so two Ps, right? Why are we studying types? Preview, pattern. Last P, purpose. The study of types in the Bible shows us God's purposes which lead to our salvation. Romans 8.28, can you guys recite it from memory? And we know that for those who love God, God. Right? We know that those who love God, all things will work together for good. Those who are called according to his what? Last P, purpose. This means that no matter what happens here on earth, when it comes to our journey through life, God's ultimate purpose of salvation will be completed. So what this means practically is that if we have faith in God to be faithful to his promises, we can rejoice in our trials. We can rejoice in our tribulations because we know that God has a purpose for these things and is faithful to work all these things for our good. Right? Even the topic that we were talking about on Sunday school. Is it okay to lie? That's the topic, right? Those of you who don't attend Sunday school, attend Sunday school. Is it okay to lie? Who says yes? They weren't listening. It's never okay to lie, right? <laughs> but there are instances and there are scriptural instances that says it's okay. So what do you make of it? What do you make of Rahab? She lied. What do you make of the midwives that says, oh, the Jewish women, they give birth so quick. So we couldn't kill the babies in Exodus. They lied. Is it okay to lie? <laughs> right? So what, what did we, not, not what did we say? What did I say? Is it okay to lie? No, never. Just like when Moses killed the Egyptian. Is it okay to murder? You're, he's protecting one of his people, right? What, was that okay to murder? No. So, so, so what, how, how do we negotiate this gray area? But I said, when we said that even though like, the sign that, quote, unquote, lying is okay, is that if God blesses it, right? what happened to, not blesses the lies, blesses the event, right? When the Hebrew midwives uh, lied about killing the babies or not killing the babies, what happened to them at the end? If you read the text, they were greatly blessed. Rahab, when she lied, she was greatly blessed. Uh, Moses, when he killed the Egyptian, he was blessed because God used that event to ultimately minister to him and use him to save the, so the Israelites. You go back to Romans 8.28, that's what it means. Now, sometimes, um, obviously, you need wisdom. That's why we're in Proverbs. Whether or not, you know, am I okay to lie right now? Should I lie right now? Because you know it's bad, so you always have to ask God first. Is it okay? Help me discern this situation and help me discern what to do. That's the wisdom coming from, from God. 
Ultimately, you'll know because it's going to work for good. If ever you have to, right? If ever you have to sell stale bread <laughs> and say that it's fresh <laughs> so that people will buy it, <laughs> if they die from food poisoning, no good. You shouldn't have lied. <laughs> right? But in the case of Scripture where they were blessed, is that okay then to lie? So what we said was that, no, you know what? God is able to work things for good. All things. We screw up sometimes. Yes, sometimes we, we lie right? because we're liars. But sometimes you, you use your discernment, you use your wisdom, hopefully coming from God, not your own, in order to discern, am I, should I tell the truth? Right? It's like what I said earlier. Um, when, when a wife, husbands, when your wife asks you, do I look, do I look good? Uh, you pray, right? Lord, <laughs> should I lie right now or should I tell the truth? Because if I do, it's going <laughs> to, it's going to, I don't want to fight. I don't want to get divorced. So, yes, you look good. That, but that's what it is. It's a gray area. And that's why wisdom is <laughs> wisdom so important. Spiritual wisdom is so important. But at the same time, you should also know that sometimes, um, even though you feel bad for what you like, at, at, <laughs> I don't want to use Atimeg, but yeah, Atimeg felt, <laughs> felt bad for saying that something, that the bread that she's selling is fresh. Meanwhile, it's day, a day old. But it's really fresh, right? If you have that thing in you, pray about it. Pray about it first. For God to give you discernment, right? <laughs> and then hopefully it will be blessed. Keep your job, whatever it is that you, you apply it to, right? Because ultimately, if you're called for a purpose, just like Rahab was, just like the midwives were, just like Moses was, God will work all things for good. That's what 828 says, right? God works He's able to work all things for good for those who are called according to his purpose. This is a long sermon, I know, but because um, if you look, if you read the Bible, you read the Old Testament, when God tells the Israelites to wipe out a whole nation, doesn't seem moral to us, right? But in God's big plan, him knowing everything, the big picture that we can't see, it worked out. The, the murder of Jesus doesn't seem right to some Christians. They say that the God, God is a child abuser because he murdered his own son. But did it work out? Yeah, because God knows what he's doing from the start. We don't. That's why we have to rely on wisdom coming from the Holy Spirit. At the same time, once you, once you prayed for it, once you just discerned it, do what you think need, needs to be done. Um, and trust that if the purpose of God is will of God is in what you're doing. He's called you to that. He will bless it. He will make it work for good. So we're not say, telling you to lie. We're not telling you to kill or murder or steal. I'm telling you to trust God. Don't beat yourself up being a legalist. <laughs> Amen? Mm. I lost my where am I? So again, Romans 8.28. 
What does that mean? Practically, it means that if we have faith in God to be faithful to his promises, we can rejoice in our trials, tribulations. Part of the trials is whether or not we how to apply scriptural truths, okay, in our daily life. Uh, because we know that God has a purpose for these things and is faithful to work all these things for our good. Uh, what is our good? Our good ultimately is to be in eternal life eternal fellowship with God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And we get a glimpse of this reality, again, through the types that God has provided in the Old Testament, which ultimately led to the ultimate anti-type, Jesus. Right? If we look at the faithfulness of God through uh, the promise in Genesis 3 all the way to when Jesus was born, uh, had his ministry, died, rose again. That span of thousands of years, okay, shows that God will <laughs> and is able to work all things for good, right? It's not like the Israelites did it perfectly. It's not like the disciples did it perfectly, no, right? But God ultimately got his purpose accomplished. Same in your life. We're not going to do things perfectly, but yeah, this sermon might not come across perfectly, but God, I, I'm hoping that God will use this for your good. So, uh, some Christians, some say that uh, Christmas is the saddest time of the year. Right? You hear that all the time. Um, it could be if our hope is on something or someone else. But, if our hope is solely rooted on God's faithfulness in Christ, then no matter what we may be going through right now, heading into the Advent season, we can rest assured that God has a good purpose for these things. And that all of these things, good or bad, God will ultimately work for our good. This is why looking at the Bible's message through different types is so important and very encouraging, especially to myself. Biblical types, again, provide us with a preview that brings a sense of excitement and anticipation. It shows us a pattern when it comes to our stubbornness and God's mercy and patience. And lastly, types show us God's purpose and how we will be faithful to accomplish that purpose in our lives. No matter what, He will. He will finish the work that He's completed in those of us who believe. So in the weeks, in the few weeks that are going to be following here, we will be hearing from different speakers about different types of Christ found in the Old Testament. Hopefully, <laughs> the types that these guys will pick are actual types, not just analogies. That's why I said it's a warning for those of you who are speaking, right? Hopefully, they're not just giving you analogies after analogies. It has to point ultimately to the anti-type of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, this is where I tell you the bad news, okay? Bad news is this. The last sermon on this series on types is going to be on December 25th. It's a Sunday, okay? We have service on that Sunday. We always have service on Sunday, especially this coming Sunday because it's the 25th. 
We were discussing it upstairs. Should we have service on Sunday? Because, you know, Christmas Eve, people are going to be partying. Right? Those of you who are, you're, you're lying. <laughs> you're going to be partying the 24th evening, right? So it's going to be hard for people. We're like, it's going to be hard for people to get up and come on the 25th because it's, you're tired, you know, you're prepped up. Nobody will come to church on the 25th. I don't think that's right. <laughs> Sorry to say. Right? It was your birthday. And your birthday is on the Sunday. And people celebrated it on the Saturday and not show up on the Sunday of your birthday. How would you feel? Okay, this is not to guilt trip anybody. Okay. You have an option. Right? Ah, no problem, Pastor. I will be there <laughs> in spirit. <laughs> I will be there online. But I hope you guys can come here and celebrate with, probably just going to be me, <laughs> and celebrate with our congregation, our family here at GBC. That's coming Sunday, right? The 25th. That's when the last of these messages will come. So hopefully I can see you here. I encourage you to plan ahead, but don't just plan. Come. On that Sunday. Right. I'm not going to blame you, okay, if you can't make it. All right, not legalistic. But I will mention you by name. Where is, uh, how come? <laughs> All right, so I encourage you to come Sunday when we start. Or That's, that, that's the end of the, um, that's the last message on this series in types. The first message will be next week. Um, so we're going to start with, Yeah? We're going to start with the first type found in the Bible. What is, who is the first type of Christ found in the Bible? I already said it. Adam. So let's start with Adam. Huh? The apple? <laughs> the seed of the woman is the first type. So come back next week and we'll, we're going to study Adam uh, as a type of Christ. All right? Let's pray. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. And give you peace. And give you peace. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. And be gracious. And be gracious. And be gracious.